0: Going to recap really quick over chapter just where we've been here over chapter 11, um, just so that uh, we kind of have a where we can kind of engage and we're not just doing that in the middle of, of the process and nobody knows where we are. If you're a visitor in our audience, I'm, I'm doing that I think really mainly for your benefit, um, just for you to see uh, where we've uh, where we've come from and hopefully where I'm about to start. Um, at the end of chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. Um, I think it's important that we see, I'm going to go back to the first verse of chapter 11, um, and I think some of the basis as to what we established this, our, our study on, faith is assurance, a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, conviction of things not seen, and then we see in verse 2, for by it, for by what? for this assurance this faith of assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen these men of old gained approval and we're in that process of kind of going through some of these individuals um, that had gained approval that god looked at as righteous that god looked at as having faith um, a faith that they had that was um, of, of things not yet seen things that were coming but things that they had not been made privy to, things that, that they recognized because God was who he was and because of his promises and the things that he has he he stated, the things that he has said, they believed him and they lived their lives based on that. So this morning, what I'd like for us to do as we get started here, um, we've actually really covered this part. I'm going to go and kind of get started here with where Moses, I, I kind of actually went into some of of Moses um, as, uh, as we look at this this morning. Uh, so let's look here as we get started and we're gonna see these exemplary lives of faith. This, it just continues. Um, let's look at uh, verse 23 as we kind of start here. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. And I, I kind of alluded to the fact that this probably wasn't I mean, faith that was attributed to Moses here as much as it was his parents. It's that they were, um, th- that they had the faith uh, to, to hide him. They weren't afraid of the king. They weren't, uh, they were trying to do what they could to serve God. And so what we see here is that because they saw he was a beautiful child, they were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, uh, they, they hid him. By faith, number chapter. Uh, Chapter 11 verse 24, by faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Uh, One of the things that I want to, I guess I'll, I'll bring out here, and again if you're a visitor or audience, a lot of these things that we see here in Hebrews, there's reference made, reference made back to the Old Testament, back to the old law, back to the First Covenant. Um, and I'm not going to turn back to these, um, If but each one of these we could actually make a class period on, probably. Uh, just the fact of what they did, when we consider this writer, as he looks at them and considers them uh, individuals of, of strong faith— um, but uh, for the sake of time, I don't have that capability to do that. And I apologize, um, it would have, this class would have to honestly probably be double, um, maybe two quarters, to actually go through the book, of, uh, the book of Hebrews and really tear apart and depict a lot of these things by turning back and looking. But please, I would, I would certainly recommend, in my study, I have done that um, with a lot of these, Uh, In fact, in this chapter, just about all of them, even when we get down here shortly, when he talks about others, um, the list is huge. And uh, just to go back and see some of the things that they did uh, with regard to to faith and how they uh, were obedient to God. So we see he left Egypt, not fearful of the wrath of the king. Verse 27, he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Now think about that for a minute. That's something that I think we can all, if we look at our lives and we think about looking at what this book brings out, what's something we can bring out in verse 27 for us? Is that we can see that these individuals, by faith, they endured as seeing him. Think about the Messiah. They're, they, 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 they're, they know about him. They hear about him. Who's unseen? They don't see this but they recognize that this is something that's coming. By faith, he kept the Passover. Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, uh, knowing that the the, the firstborn were gonna be killed, um, so he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. And we think about what Pharaoh had ordered and the things that were gonna happen in that. Um, And obviously, we know verse 29, as he brings or leads them out of Egypt, He leads them through the Red Sea as they were passing through dry land. Uh, And the the, the Egyptians, when they attempted that passing through the dry land, they were killed. We know the waters came back and they were consumed and destroyed. As we think about uh, the walls of Jericho, uh, again, I could turn back there and read that. But uh, the walls of Jericho, they fell down if they had been encircled seven times, uh, for seven days, 13 times, actually. If you think about um, for six days, they were to march around it once, um, six, and the seventh day, they were to march around it seven times. Uh, And at, at that point, blow a trumpet, and what happened? The walls fell flat. And by faith, again, showing the faith that they had to encircle that and to do that, Nothing was happening, you know, when you think about and you're, walking, and you're marching around a city and still nothing happens, but what did they do? They were obedient to God. He told them to do this. He was specific about what he wanted, what he expected, and they did it, and it came to fruition. We recognize that because of their faith, those walls collapsed, those walls fell down. So We think about, uh, think about Rahab. Rahab, we recognize, we think about God's purpose and his plan and things that he did. The things that he, the people that he used surprises us at times. I think when we think about, we know that she was a harlot. She was a prostitute. But yet, because of her faith, she did not perish along with those who were disobedient. You know, when we think about, uh, we think about Rahab, we th- you know, not, she, she's knowing of God's care. She recognized that. And the deliverance of Israel, by faith she trusted that she would receive the same. And the writer, I think here when we see this, uh, the writer recalls others that we're going to see here um, as we move down. Um, Verse 32, this writer says, what more shall I say? When you think about this verse, for time will fail me if I tell of. And he mentions several more individuals who, by faith, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets. Think about all of these individuals. But he didn't go into some of the detail uh, that he did through chapter 11, as we see here. Many other examples he provided. And as we get into to, to this particular section, you know he's going to talk about those things that I think is, I, I you know when when you read this, this is to me a very disturbing in to some extent, very disturbing section, um, and especially as we re, we realize and recognize what these people went through, um, all of these gained approval through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Again. What type of faith would that take? You know, ask yourself as you sit here this morning, ask, and I continue to ask myself as I study this, what kind of faith is it going to take for me to continue the course, to see what is expected of me, what God wants of me, but what he has promised? Is it worth it? All that we go through, all the things that we go through, and still say it's worth it. That's what these people did. You think about this, and then what does, and this is the part I, as, I, as I bring out in this chapter, the things that I feel like that he's share, he shares with them. Even though these great people received good testimony through faith, they did not receive the promise fulfilled of the Messiah. God had provided something better for us. Apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And we think about Revelation chapter six, Verse 11. I'm going to just kind of skim this really quick from 33 down. He says, these individuals, these individuals who by faith conquered kingdoms, perform acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. Think about Daniel. We think about quench the power, the power of fire. Think about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war. Think about Dan, think about David, uh, for uh, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Think about Elijah. Think about Elisha. Think about the things that they did to bring back the dead uh, and give back to these to their mother to these to these to their mothers. Those that also. Um, Were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Let that sink in for a minute. Just think about it. These are individuals that could have said, I don't know anything you're talking about. I don't know who this God is. They could have rejected that. They could have been released in many cases. Just say, just say that you're not a follower of this God. Just say that you're not... they could have done that. And there may have been some that may have done that. The pressure was was incredible. And it says that when you think about that, it's not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. They wanted to be raised to see and experience this promise that was coming, this Jesus that had been promised. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Um, I had read where it's potentially possible that Isaiah—that's that has it was how he met his fate, was being sawn in two. Um, and you think about that; it's not like these individuals were uh, put under some type of anesthesia. They were alive. They were just like you and I are, and put in a position to where they were cut in half, sawn in two, still alive put to death by the sword, went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. The world wouldn't accept these people. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All of these having gained approval through their faith. Gained approval through their faith. The substance of things hoped for, but things that they'd never seen. It's pretty incredible what kind of a what kind of an example does that leave for us what kind of a walk should that promote us to have because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect you know and, and, I, and I think about that you know he provided something better for us and apart from us they would not be made perfect They weren't made perfect apart from us, and that is that they were not made perfect different from the way that we are. They were not made perfect apart from the New Testament and the means of redemption which we enjoy. They're going to experience that very same thing as well. Chapter 11. Any comments or questions before 12? Again as I've tried to show through, chapter, through, through these chapters the various quotes that are made with regard to uh, the Old Testament quotations that we find in, in these chapters. Chapter 12. We start with chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. We see that Jesus is, is the example. We recognize here that we're encouraged to, these are encouraged to run the race with endurance in, in, in verses 1 through 3 to continue the course. We've heard this before. Therefore, we see that word therefore and we, we recognize because of what we've just read and the, inter, the individuals and, and their strong faith and the things that is, is provided, God has provided for some, us, something better for us. Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us. We see that term utilized with every with this cloud of witnesses that we have that surrounds us. Let us lay aside, because of these people and because of what we see that they did, and because of what God and how he recognized them, because of their faith, their righteousness, because of their obedience. He says, let us also lay aside. Since we have this group of people that can be our witnesses, our testimony, don't let yourself be encumbered and the sin which so easily entangles us. The word encumbrance, as I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, is, a, is hindrance. Don't let sin hinder, hinder us. Don't let it become something that we can be so easily entangled in, but he says, let us run with the endurance that, that we see here. This cloud of witnesses surrounds them, cheers us on. Uh, this, this great example of faith that we see in the last chapter as witnesses, as, again, as testimony, he challenges his readers, he, And he challenges us, I believe, as we take part in this and we read this, to have the same kind of faith in, their own, in our own walks of life. In their own walks of life, this is what he's telling these brethren that they should do. He uses the analogy, I believe, here in verse 1b to, of, of that of an athlete, uh, to run with the endurance of the race that's set before us. When we think about that, you know, athletes, they're to remove any form of hindrance or sin, we see that? Any, anything, you know, those of you who are, and I, I just know Bill real quick here, does a lot of running. You know, I, I'm sure when he gets ready to run, he's not thinking about how much he can put in a backpack and the weight that he can carry, uh, the things that would, would, would in, slow, slow him down, that would cause him problems, cause him issue uh, whenever he runs. And I think the same kind of thing applies here. When we think about sin, what, what, what happens with sin if we're entangled in sin? Sin becomes such that we, it makes it impossible, practically impossible for us to achieve what we need to achieve with respect to our walk with God. Being Christians, being those individuals who are seeking for the promise, who seek for that. And we recognize that we need to let go of that stuff. We need to let it And we think about to run with endurance, a patient enduring, a perseverance, something that we're looking to constantly so that we can see and we can keep that vision looking to Jesus. And I think it's important when we see that in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You know, it's one thing to look at something. It's one thing to see it. But how about fixing ourselves on that particular situation or picture or individual. Fix your eyes. I think when you think about that word a fix, lock in. Don't lose focus. This is what this writer tells these recipients of this book, the author and perfecter of our faith for who joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the example that he shares with them from the Lord, from what the Lord has done. This is, and and they know this, but again, we see this shot in the arm that he continues to to do what he can to encourage them, to, to give them that fortitude, give them that that encouragement to keep on keeping on. Think about this, God chastens those he loves. Chapter 12, verses four through 11. He says to them, this is, you know, in referring to the father's discipline. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and striving against sin. I think it's interesting when we think about this, you know, he's going to look at in view of somewhat their comparative likeness as he looks at some of these others. You know, we just talked about some of the things that in, in chapter 11 that these individuals had gone through. He was sharing with them that some of them and some of the things these, these, these forefathers had endured when we talked about being sawn into and tortured and stoned and all those things. But he says to them here... You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and striving against sin. In other words, I think what he's saying to them, really take a look at where you are. This isn't you. What I just shared with you, there are individuals you can look at that see that's what's happened to them. But you haven't resisted to the point of it costing you your life yet. Persecution is around them. And you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And again, as we look here and and look at Proverbs chapter 3, again, a quotation that we see inside of chapter 12, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he he receives. And and, and he refers back to this as as he sees, you know, the importance of, of what these individuals need to do and what they need to recognize with regard to what this, this God that he is so encouraging them to serve in what he does. They haven't resisted to bloodshed yet in, in their striving, but he thinks about the likelihood of coming persecution and trials are evident. There, it's around them. He reminds them again by quoting Proverbs chapter Proverbs chapter three. God only disciplines those whom he loves. And knowing this, knowing this, he's saying to them, knowing this, you know this about, about God, he says, don't regard his discipline as a trivial thing. Don't look at that as something to be undermined and to think nothing of, nor be discouraged. And it says, but know that you're loved and you're made better by it. You know, he's gonna get in here, and we look here at verse seven um, in, in this section, and he says, if you are without discipline, of which you all have been partakers, then you're illegitimate children. When we think about that, that particular term, illegitimate children and not sons. When we think about an illegitimate child, or we think here in this particular, in this particular reference, those who do not receive discipline are illegitimate and not one of his sons. We think about, uh, look around our world Look around our world and and look at when we think about illicit or illegitimate, not in accordance with or accepted standards or rules that someone would follow. Law breaking, illicit, against the law, criminal. Do we know children like that? Can we look around our world and see that? That's the one thing I think we need to recognize as parents when we raise our children If we don't want our children to be illegitimate, be individuals who are rebellious, we think about those kind of things that occurred in the old law. Those type of children were stoned, like with no questions asked. We think about this, and and, and he's trying to say to them here, think about God. Think about what God does because he loves us, he loves you. He's going to discipline you. He's going to chastise you. He's going to, and and again, thinking about that word as well, as we think about that word chastise, we think about teach, we think about instruct. He uses that to instruct. When When we discipline our children, aren't we doing that to instruct them, to encourage them, to reprove them, to help to teach them? Teach them what? Teach them good from bad. Teach them right from wrong. Again, that's what, we, when we recognize our God and we see what his capabilities are and what his, what his mission is, what his intent is. If you're without discipline, you become partakers and your illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? You know, again, because those in that period of time, if, if they were disobedient, They rejected their fathers, their mothers. They weren't obedient to their parents. They lost their lives. He's saying here, you know, think about you had earthly fathers that disciplined you. And as he says here in verse 9, we respected them. How much more should you respect? How much more should you embrace this God, this father of spirits? And you're going to be able to live basically by that. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. Again, thinking, speaking of their fathers, but he disciplines us for good that he, we may share in his holiness. Think about God and who is he? He's holy. And when we sin, are we holy? No way, no way. When we sin, we're not, you know, that, that, you know we've been sanctified, but then can we fall back? He says to them here, It's important that we understand that he disciplines us for good so that we may share in his holiness. He wants us with him. He wants us to be like him. He wants us. But that's up to us. That's up to us. All discipline for the moment seems to be joyful, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. Again, I think when we think about this particular section, um, here at the end of, of this section of verse 11, the chasing of the Lord is for our good. You know, you think about being disciplined in your past. Think about what you endured in that. That wasn't something that you could say was, boy, I can't wait till the next one. And I can sure tell you from my home, I could never say that, that I could wait for the next one. Because those kind of things were not something that I would want to endure again. Those are not things that... But, you know, I put myself in positions. I put myself in situations where... And I'm fortunate to have had parents and and, and grandparents who mowed me down when I was out of control and brought me back to where, and again, in teaching and instructing, I can remember sitting on a front porch with a grandmother, a grandmother who was five feet tall maybe, and I can remember her raking me over the coals and I didn't like it, but I think back on it today and I think about what I had in that lady. It's unbelievable. And, and, and how I squandered that at times, how I rejected that, how I looked at it, and it, again, it made me angry. But she didn't care. She only could see what she wanted me to become. Think about that in your own life. Think about that with your children. Think about that as you raise your children. What do you want for them? You just let them, just let them get, a, just do whatever. I see that. When In law enforcement, I saw that so much Parents didn't even care where their kids were. I'd say, where are your kids? I don't know. I've heard that so many times. I don't know. There was a a commercial uh, up in Indiana. It used to be on Channel 13. It was said, and this was like 10, 11 o'clock at night. This commercial would come on, and all that was said was, parents, do you know where your children are? That was the commercial. This is years ago. I could get off on a lot of that, but I, I don't have the time. But I think it's important for us to recognize here in verse 11, discipline's not joyful and sorrowful at times. Yet, and it hurts who? It hurts you a lot of times more than it hurts the children, even though they would probably disagree. But those who have been trained by that discipline, afterwards it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. Think about what you have and what you see as that starts to come to fruition. Think about what you see in those children. Think about what you see in your own life. When you allow that to, to temper you, to, to actually come into your life, if there's things that we need, me, you, we need, to, we need to make adjustments, we need to make correction. How does that then make you walk in your walk with Lord? Get into verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and I think here, as we look here, working to a greater zeal, keeping the paths of heaven straight and clean, that we see, you know, lest we lose it all. He's going to go through, through chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. He addresses the attitude, I think, that we should have who, through those who are spiritually weak. He admonishes them to renew again the courage of those who are discouraged, to lighten the load for those who are weighed down, as we see here Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That sanctification, you think about being set apart without no, if we're not set apart, if we don't put ourselves in that and live our lives in that, in light of that, we won't see the Lord. Verse 15, he says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. No root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. By it, many are defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. So go back up and look at 13 and 14, making straight the paths for your feet. Pursue peace in verse 14 with all men, the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. We're to watch out for each other. We're to watch out for the, the, the situation that we might see others in. So we recognize that we watch out for another soul so that somebody doesn't drift away. I think when we see that first part of 15A, first, last part of 15B, he warns them to be on guard of those who could have a negative influence. Be on guard, think about that. Recognize what, what is influencing your life right now? What influences you? Good things? Spiritual things? Or are we letting the, is the world involved in our lives? Is the world having a negative influence? Are we so wrapped up in those things of the world that we're losing sight, slowly losing sight? And again, we think about that from, as, as, as we think about this writer and how he tries to encourage these individuals looking at from idolaters fornicators immorality or a godless person that they utilize like esau think about and and again for sake of time but again thinking about esau sold his birthright for what minuscule bowl of porridge food his, his heart, where was his heart? Where was his mind? Where did he, where, where, what was, and I think that's what this writer, I think, brings out here is that, you know, this root of bitterness, as he talks about, but looking at Esau, all he could see was something that was physical that he could, versus seeing something like his inheritance, his birthright that he could hold on to, something that was going to be made of value. He could not regain his birthright after his fate was sealed. He found no place for for resistance. We think about how we could lose our soul, how these individuals could lose their soul after their fate is sealed, if they don't continue the walk and continue the endurance of what they need to in their lives. They would fall short, ultimately, fall short of the grace of God. Verse 17, for you know that even afterwards, when he's despised to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for found no place of repentance, sought for it with tears. This next section that we come into here uh, as we look at verse 18, this greater mountain, this Mount Zion, that he says to them, you need to be focused on. Based on the nature of this new covenant, we look at verse 18, you've not come to a mountain that can be touched to a blazing fire, to darkness, to the gloom, the whirlwind, to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. When we think about that particular section here, 18, 19, they couldn't bear the command. Verse 20, even as, as and again, here he, he, he looks at Exodus chapter 19, uh, verse 12 that he refers to, even a beast touches that mountain, it'll be stoned, it'll be destroyed. Think about that mountain. We think about Mount Sinai. We think about what uh, those individuals were told not to do. But how did God interact with them from that mountain, that fire, the blast of a trumpet, the sound and the words were so loud that they told Moses, we don't want to hear from him again. We don't want to hear this. It was so terrible in the sight that Moses says he was full of fear and trembling. But... This writer says, again, looking at this old, looking at this first covenant, that first covenant, based on this new covenant, what's he say in verse 22? But you've come to Mount Zion. You've come to Mount Zion where in Mount Zion, he says, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, And to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, to judge all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. He brings our thoughts back to the original purpose, I believe, when we look at this section, of this letter, Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the better way. He's the superior one. He contrasts the old physical images of worship, of interaction with God, to the new in a better way in Jesus Christ. They are no longer required to look at a mountain which can be touched physically, which could not be touched by them, blackened by fire, darkness, and full of fear but now they have a better place to come, the spiritual Mount Zion. And I believe he symbolically describes this Mount Zion as a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem in which they can now come and be a part of. Unlike Mount Sinai, they can have fellowship with touch Mount Zion because of the blood of Christ that has cleansed them. What an incredible, as we think about that, based on the nature of the new covenant, superior blessings of this new Mount Zion. This heavenly city includes innumerable joyful assembly of angels, Christians who are citizens of heaven, the church of the firstborn, God, the judge of all, all those who lived righteously from the time of Abel until the fulfillment of the law. And again, he goes back and as he refers to in the last part of verse 24, Jesus, the mediator of this covenant, whose blood sacrifice was better than that sacrifice that Abel offered. Questions or comments? brings him into this last section of Hebrews chapter 12 and he talks about this unshaken kingdom. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape who turned away from him who warns them from heaven. We think about that, that little statement right there in verse 25 about midsection. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Who warned them? Who's that, who's that him? What do you think? I, I believe he's talking about, I believe he's talking about Moses. I believe he's saying to him, you know, if you, it didn't escape and you were punished and you were corrected, you were reproved, you didn't escape when you refused him who warned you on earth then what do you think's gonna happen if we, if we escape or turn away from him who warns from heaven? Think about God and what he's, at, what he's saying, what he says to these people, and I believe this writer is saying to them, you need to pay attention to where you are. Pay attention to this God. Recognize that this God can destroy you if you don't serve him. His voice shook the earth then but now has promised a saying, and here we see another quotation from Haggai chapter two, verse six. Yet once more, I will shake not the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, I think he describes what he's talking about in verse 26 here in verse 27. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of, as of created things. And so, and that those things which cannot be shaken will remain. He instructs them not to refuse Jesus. He instructs them not who speaks from heaven. If they didn't escape, if Israel didn't escape when they refused God through Moses' teaching, how much more did shall they not escape if they refuse him who gave his own blood and now reigns from heaven for them? God's voice then shook the earth from Mount Sinai, but now has promised, again, looking at Haggai chapter 2, verse 1, he will shake heaven and earth once more. This shaking will remove or destroy all things that are physical in nature. Think about the old covenant, including the old law, but the true spiritual things, God's heavenly kingdom will remain. Verse 28, he says, Therefore, since they are now part of God's heavenly kingdom, which cannot be shaken, They shall have gratitude and grace and serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For God is a consuming fire, that which Israel saw on top of Mount Sinai. We think back to Exodus chapter 24. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show by gratitude, which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Comments or questions? I appreciate. Thank you very much. Hopefully we'll wrap up with Chapter 13 next Lord's Day.